Ignition sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running, 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 running. Houston, uh, Tranquility Base here. The Eagle has landed, 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 Welcome to the Selected Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Taylor, and clearly I'm taking this voiceover way too seriously. Well, all right, all right, all right, you have found it. This is the Selected Podcast. I am your host, Dan Taylor, and we are the droids you're looking for. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. It is episode number 20. I feel like I feel like we should be having a little celebratory party here. I mean, we're, we're into the 20s now. And I remember my 20s. Those were some damn good years. But anyway, <laughs> I digress. Ladies and gentlemen, what's going on? It is, uh, what, it's the week after Easter here. I woke up this morning, opened the curtains, and was greeted with snow falling in London on the 12th of April. So uh, climate change, it's awesome. And speaking of changing climates, I've got an amazing guest for you this week. So let's just dive right in. She's got a resume longer than... Well, I don't know. I had to scroll 17 times to get to the end of it on LinkedIn. So I'm just going to start at the beginning and, and tell you all about this lady. She is a venture partner at Draper Esprit. She is an independent innovation advisor, connector and advisor, and corporate innovation expert. Sounds like a lot of jargon to me. I'll ask her about it. She is a member of the Digital Leaders Europe with the World Economic Forum, and she sits on more boards than you can shake a stick at. But here we go. You ready? Bootstrap Europe, the European Innovation Council, Cognition X, Risk and InsureTech, Insignia, LucidWeb, The Work Crowd, Startup Europe, Tech London Advocates, Global Tech Advocates. She has sat on the digital boards of Major Corps, Centrica, and Shop Direct. She is old school cool with Microsoft, where she was the business productivity advisor and then the VC emerging business lead. Oh, and she's also the former senior vice president of the Silicon Valley Bank in London. Ladies and gentlemen, you might have guessed already, this is the one, the only, the incomparable Bindi Korea. Hi, Dan. How are you? It's so nice to hear your voice and uh, see your face. It's been uh, a long, 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 long time, hasn't it? It, it has indeed been a long, long time, and let's be honest, this voice, it sounds even better than the face looks, right? That's why I don't do video. <laughs> well, but you've, you've got a voice for radio. It was what a wonderful, thoughtful intro. Thank you for making me sound so good. <laughs> well, thank you for having a LinkedIn profile that read like a book. I mean, I, I only took a snippet of the boards you're on, but uh, Bindi, there's only 24 hours in the day. How do you do that? Uh... I don't know. I'm just really good at planning and organizing. And Cocaine, right. Okay. <laughs> far from that. <laughs> now, people have always said I, I'm sort of built like a mini nuclear reactor. So I just have a lot of energy. And I think the other thing is a lot of the boards I sit on, the, the way the time commitments work, it's not, uh, what's the word? It's, it's just not 24-7. Sometimes they won't call me for six months and then they'll call on me for a lot of deep work and then they'll leave me alone. And then some just need me constantly. So it just really, really depends. So some are high demand and some are less demanding. Well, I feel like I should do this intro over again because I, I want to introduce you as Bindi the Nuclear Reactor Korea. That's going to be your new title. Are right, you going to okay. drop that on LinkedIn? <laughs> yeah, as christened by Dan. <laughs> None other. You heard it here, folks. Bindi, 
How's it going? What's shaking, lady? No, long time no see. Well, I have- Where are you? Are you in a greenhouse? Uh, yeah, I'm kind of in the upstairs part of my little tiny London flat. Right. And it, it, it looks like a greenhouse, but it's just some spare space. Or it's the coolest closet I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, it's part closet, part yoga studio, part, you know, uh, exercise studio, and also my office, all in one. Because there's no storage in my flat on the main floor, so this has become it all. And a little roof deck, so it's sort of kept me going through the lockdown. It's very cute. <laughs> well, I was just going to say, uh, as far as storage in London goes, yeah, I mean, uh, every square inch underneath my bed is occupied. And every yeah. one of those shelves that you can see behind me, they are packed full of stuff. So I totally understand. Everything good, though? Everybody's safe and secure? No COVID? The family's all right? You're all right? Yeah, I'm, I'm okay. Safe and sound. But, you know, unfortunately, I did catch COVID March 7th weekend last year. Um, I was one of those ski bums that went and caught it, but none of us knew what was going on back then. So, um, yeah, yeah, I'm well and recovered now from that. It was a full year ago. Um, Did suffer a bit of long COVID, but, you know, feeling Mm. a lot better. And actually, Dan, it's April 12th in London. And you know what that means? Things are opening. Well, that's why we're recording tonight, because we're not going to be one of the idiots that goes down to the pub. I did just head down to my local Sainsbury's to get dinner. And I passed by two pubs on the way, and they were both overflowing. Well, you know, think about it. In London, Tier 4 was December 19th, or December 20th, 2020, and nothing has been open since then. So Londoners, we've been starved of, like, social life, you know, since then. That's a good five-plus months. So I think, I kind of think we deserve it, you know, and I think we're being vaccinated, and I Mm. think... People have been pretty good. Like, I've done a lot of stuff outdoors, but do you know what I mean? People have been pretty good, so well, let's hope we behave. Let's hope we behave so you don't get locked back in again. <laughs> well, funny you mention that because I heard a rumor Oh, that you went somewhere. Where did you go? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Me neither. Uh, the yeah. r- rumors, rumors. There's a great, I, great album by Fleetwood I, Mac. I went to my roof deck uh, to be outdoors, Dad. My roof deck. Uh huh. Right. <laughs> my little oh. tiny roof deck that's basically the size of a yoga mat. <laughs> I, I'm picking up what you're laying down, lady. Okay, <laughs> moving along, moving along. You know, I ask all my guests about their other. What is your other? Uh, well, I think like everyone else, I cooked a lot. But actually, we kind of went next level. So I we created a Zoom cooking club with a bunch of other tech founders. And instead of we called it Come Dine With Me, we called it Come Dice With Me because it was part of the ICE community, which Dan, you know very well. Wow. The International Conclave of Entrepreneurs. And we, I'm surprised you didn't go with Come Wine With Me. Well, we, we also did that too. We did a lot of that. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, we got to we graduated to the level of like Michelin level cooking. So we did a Tom Carriage hand and flowers cookbook two course Michelin meal, and I posted that on my Insta actually, and that took us like that took us two nights to do. But it was so much fun to learn how they cook and what it takes to be a chef at that level. And oh my god, I have a whole newfound respect. And boy, oh boy, I'm going to go to these restaurants and eat there as opposed to cooking it at my house. But yeah, I learned to do that a lot. I walked a lot because. Post-long COVID, my lungs were a bit sort of messy. Mm. So I did a lot of walking. And I think I, I use this really cool app called Sweatcoin. And Sweatcoin, you get points, like virtual coins for walking. 
And uh, you can get really cool things like TVs and Apple TV, Apple Music subscriptions and stuff like that by walking. I, I was I was hoping you, you were going to tell me that you were mining Bitcoin no, while walking. No, 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 no. I got sweat no. coins. But I, sweat I, coin. I don't know. If, it's kind of a virtual currency, but for exercise. And it's quite funny. Like between March 31st last year and December 30th last year, I walked two and a half million steps. London's a big city. <laughs> what does that translate into as far as distance? Do you have any idea? I have no idea because I'm quite short. So two and a half million of my steps right. would be a lot less than two and a half million of your steps, Dad. This is true. Okay. <laughs> well, we might but be yeah. able to walk to the moon by, by yeah, now. Yeah, but I, did, I walked all over cool parts of London and that was great fun. Like I, I learned my city inside and out and it's kind of, it was a good opportunity. So there we go, walking and cooking. <laughs> Are you ready to be an Uber driver now? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> but you know the city probably better than they do. Yeah. Not as good as the black cab drivers, though. They obviously did They did their knowledge. They but, do their yeah. A to Z thing. and Yeah, yeah exactly. Sure. Yeah. Well, I do have a question about the cooking, though. Was there a creme brulee torch involved? Oh, yes. I have a creme brulee torch. I do have one of those. I mean, Amazon, like, predicts only, like, kitchen stuff for me now because I've just been ordering so many cool gadgets for the kitchen. My favorite's the sous vide. Because sous vide, oh my god! It, Do you see the blank look on my face? What is? Yeah, I, I can see say sous vide. Uh, well, basically, it's a Michelin cooking technique, or used in top restaurants. Mm -hmm. But they've they've created this device, and it's something like I don't know how many millions, like hundred million users, or something crazy like that for the Innova. And um, basically, it's you, it's a stick you put in a bucket of water, and then you shrink wrap the food in this in in a seal. And you put it in the water and you cook it at a long, steady temperature for a long time. So, for example, a, a Michelin-starred style egg takes 45 minutes, but it comes out just beautiful and yummy. And it's like, you know, one of the chefs cooked a beautiful egg for me, but 45 minutes for a poached egg. So you got a slow cooker. It's <laughs> no, darling, it's sous vide. It's sous vide. Pardon, pardon, it's pardon. It's not a slow cooker. They're very different. But yeah, like lots of good fun kitchen gadgets, plus a blowtorch. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I will admit I, I did not do a whole bunch of cooking, but there there might have been some caramelized sugar involved. So uh, I, I, too, I too understand the joy of that. <laughs> yeah, it is oh, fantastic. It is, it is fun. It is it's fun. amazing what you can blowtorch. I've discovered recently you can do that with marshmallows. So I get roasted marshmallows. Like it's super fun. Coming up in the next edition of the Selected Podcast, Bindi and I sat down to discuss what you can blowtorch. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> Bindi, I want to get into it. Uh, when I talk to the folks at Selected, um, and I, you know, because I'm always trying to source intelligent questions. I mean, I, I myself am not an intelligent person. I just surround myself with people that are smarter than me. And one of the questions that came up was, you are a dual citizen, correct? I am of Great Britain and Canada. And Canada. Okay. So we have a, a, a team member on board. She sits uh, in, oh, she's going to kill me. I think it's Ottawa or is it Toronto? Oh, yeah, I, I know. I know by that. The Canadian. I, I know them are fighting <laughs> words. I know those are fighting words. But her question was as a dual citizen, why do you not live and work in Canada? Well, it, it's interesting. I, I've always called myself a, a child of the world. And it's just because of my family background. My parents and grandparents are born and raised in Kenya. Um, I still have a ton of family there. I also have a 
bucket load of family in London. So if you go on the, um, you know, you go on the metropolitan line from sort of Wembley onwards, I could get off at every single stop and I'd have an auntie and an uncle's house to eat a beautiful Indian dinner at. I was just going to say, that sounds like some an amazing cuisine. Yeah. I mean, the home cooked, you know, Harrow onwards meals are fantastic. Mm. So I think I, I've always had a global family. I was born in the UK, immigrated to Canada when I was five, but we always came back to London and Nairobi growing up. So mm -hmm. I've always kind of grown up in three different parts of the world. So I love my Canadian upbringing. I was there right until university, but I was also very global and I had a lot of family in London and Nairobi and London's kind of halfway between Calgary and Nairobi and all my family flies here. It's an Roundabout kind of way, sure. Well, it, yeah, it's an eight-hour flight to each city, so it's kind of works. It makes sense in my logical, illogical head. So I think that that's the first thing. And then I kind of think London is a city that is sort of. I always used to joke with my friends at uni, like big, fast, dirty, smelly, ugly, global, international, and you can hear, uh, you know, fifteen different languages on the tube. That doesn't sound a thing like you, Bindi. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but actually, more importantly, I think career-wise as well, the opportunities mm. for me and what I wanted to do career-wise, it just for me felt like London would sort of tick a lot of boxes for me, work and career-wise. And so I came here thinking I'd stay three, four years, and then now I've been here over half my life. And that includes my childhood years mm. as well. Mm. So I just sort of fell in love with the city. And um, like I said, Calgary's only a little bit above eight and a half hours away and Nairobi's only eight hours away. So I kind of see my whole family. So it just, it felt like home, uh, family, and then career. And then mm -hmm. the fact is like, maybe post-Brexit, it's a bit harder, but the fact is we can hop across to Europe and do lovely weekends in Paris and Amsterdam and Lisbon and, you know, Berlin. And you know what I mean? Are you saying that North Dakota doesn't have the same uh, draw as Amsterdam? <laughs> well, south of Alberta is Montana. <laughs> and Montana That's what I said, Montana. Yeah, Montana has great skiing, right? Big sky, right? Yeah, but yeah, it's got superb skiing. So the thing is, I still have Canada and I can still do that. You okay. know, and I've done New Year's at Big White a few times. So do you know what I mean? Like, it, it's all there. And I think, obviously, not pandemic aside, mm. nothing's that far away. So I kind of have the best of everything. And my dad and brother are still in Calgary. So it's okay. still home for me. And a lot of my, all my best school friends are still there. So it's still home, right? Like I'll always be going back, but I just mm. like that I can be international and it just suits who I am as a, as a personality. So there we go. That is one hell of a complete answer. I will ask though, because I think you are the first Canadian I've had on board, Ooh. which is good, hoser. So, hey. hey, listen, hey, Hoser, take off, eh? Listen, what Are I want to ask, eh? Bob and Doug, eh? No, we're not going to talk. Uh, well, no. Take off, uh, to, take off to the Great White North, eh? Hey, take, hey, hey, Hoser. So what you do is you get you get a little you get a little baby mouse, eh? And you put them in there in the beer bottle, eh? <laughs> I'm pretty sure just some of the younger generation. <laughs> For those of you that have no idea what the heck we're talking about, strange brew. That's all I'm going to say. But Bindi, <laughs> as a Canadian living in London, so you can view it from the outside and the inside. What are some things that are missing in the VC slash tech ecosystems in Canada? Why is Canada not a major player? I think it's a, it's a great question. I have to really think about that. Maybe th there's a couple of things. Maybe because there's a Canadian brain drain down to the U.S. So there's a huge, like, a huge amount of Canadians in Silicon Valley. 
And it's easy for Canadians to go down and, and work for the big tech companies. So, so many Canucks I know have done that. And obviously, some of the big tech companies are setting up in Canada. So Microsoft has set up a campus in south of Vancouver. And I know Google is doing DeepMind in like McGill and University of Alberta. Like U of A is my old campus, my old university. So I, I can see a lot of that happening. Waterloo is a beautiful ecosystem in itself. I think it's just more that, that there's part of brain drain. I think uh, Canada is so big uh, and so many time zones as well. It's hard to create an ecosystem. Uh, I think Toronto is definitely thriving. I think mm. um, Waterloo is definitely thriving. It's one of the top technical uh, computing science universities in Canada. And, you know, so many great companies and engineers are always coming from there. But they yeah. do end up getting poached, you know, getting poached. I've always thought about that as well because Vancouver, one of my most favorite cities on oh, this planet. Oh, Vancouver is an amazing city. Is literally right across the bay, more or less, from Seattle. Yeah. Right. And Seattle yeah, yeah, yeah. is about an hour away from what R Redmond, where Microsoft is based. So I've, I've, yeah. I've always wondered why Vancouver. I mean, you know, if you talk about the, the film and television industry, you know, there's more productions happening in Vancouver than you can shake a stick at because yeah, yeah, yeah. of the tax breaks and and all the, the, the other types of benefits they have. So I've, I've often wondered why Canada doesn't, uh, you know, why, why Vancouver has not sprung up the same way. Well, I think things are coming up. So what I'm seeing is through the pandemic, I, I have personally, this is just anecdotally, observing Canadians who have been in Silicon Valley and New York and different parts coming home. So that's mm. seeing people coming home and they're like, oh, we need to build an ecosystem. And then, for example, my home province of Alberta, um, Alberta's just had this, you know, lifelong dependence on natural resources, so oil and gas. And obviously mm. that industry hasn't been faring well for the last while. But Alberta also has a highly educated population of engineers. And actually, it's not that hard to reskill into software and technology. So now Alberta is starting to reposition itself going, well, maybe we should be more tech focused. And Alberta has mm. always been a low tax regime, which is fantastic. So I think the opportunity is there. So I think it's there's nothing missing. I think it's just a little bit further behind in its its development. And I think where it is is you know five ten years behind where we are in london and then we're all further behind than anything from silicon valley but we're learning mm -hmm. and i think it will pop at some point and you know will there be collaboration with provinces like you know ontario and alberta collaborating well there's always like interstate rivalry in the u.s there's interprovincial rivalry so let's see let's find, let's see what happens but I think it's a combination of all of that. Basically, what you're saying is if the Leafs and the Canadiens join forces. <laughs> well, no. It, 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 <laughs> That's never going to happen, Bindi. Well, if East and West, no, no. If Eastern Canada and Western Canada join forces, and then actually Eastern Canada does not mean Quebec, because Quebec is its own entity, right? Its own um, French-speaking entity. So Quebec has always felt slightly different. But that's not a bad thing. I just think it is what it is. And then actually it's the Oilers and the Flames, because obviously uh, growing up in Alberta, that Ooh. rivalry is on another the what? level. Never Edmonton heard of them. Oilers and Calgary Flames. Never heard of them. <laughs> Let's talk about things I have heard of, which is you are venture partner at Draper Esprit. Yes. Kind of a big deal. Now, off camera, we you started telling me about the publicly listed Draper model, which is something I know nothing about. What the heck is this? Tell me about it. Well... Venture funds kind of are built on a 10-year model. So they mm -hmm. take money from a limited partner LPs. So you get $100 million 
uh, dollar or euro or pound venture fund. You take money from these limited partners and they could be family offices, they could be hedge funds. You know, it's basically big pools of capital. You put it in the fund and then you invest over that 10-year cycle, right? Sure. And then you're expected to make a return for that LP over that 10-year period. And, you know, it might be one of your investments over that cycle that returns the entire fund. So, you, mm. you know, the fund might make, you know, you might have a big exit um, and then that one exit just makes returns the whole fund. So that's the classic model. Right. Which I, I would imagine that's every VC's dream come true. Like, yep, 100% we're done. Yeah. And it's sort of high high risk, high reward, right? But you do have a lot of companies that will not necessarily succeed. But you're, you're investing in that kind of future. And what Draper did is they um, decided to uh, list themselves uh, on the uh, London Stock Exchange. So the funding is coming from investors through the stock exchange. And the way that we sort of talk about that model is we look at our investments and the, the people that have put money into the Draper Esprit um, you know, uh, fund as such are ones that are like, well, we want to get an insight into future rounds that we could invest in, right? So the ones that want to do $100 million plus transactions that a fund of our size can't do, but they want to see what's coming down the pipeline. Mm -hmm, so this is mm -hmm. a great way to share insight and information on the companies we're investing in, our investment hypothesis. Um, and then if we need to, you know, put more money into the fund, we can go to the capital markets and go, we'd like to raise more money to invest. And then the capital markets will put more money in to, um, into the fund. So we're no mm -hmm. longer stuck to a 10 year cycle. And what that means is we can stay with, we can stay with the companies a lot longer. So we could put a company in, a money in a company at series A, for example, or series B, and mm -hmm. we can be with them right through to exit. And that's an interesting model. And then we can say to our bigger investors, uh, whether it's the big hedge funds or asset managers, and we can say, oh, our company uh, is, you know, going to raise at this kind of billion plus valuation. And is this something you're interested in coming in, in alongside us? So it's, we're kind of there. It's an evergreen model, basically. That means we're with the company longer term. And that means the founders know we're there from beginning to end. Um, right. And so I think that's quite... That's quite a unique side of Draper. I mm -hmm. think the other interesting part about the fund is we do um, what we would call uh, fund of funds and secondary transactions. And the fund of funds is basically we've put money in. If people go on the website, you can see all the funds that we're in. But we've put money into, and oh gosh, Dra the team of Draper is going to kill me, but we're 20 <laughs> plus, 25 plus funds across Europe. Um, but they're seed funds. And then that means we're getting insight into what the earlier stage is investing in. So then we can see when the good, the big series A and Bs come in because mm -hmm. we're an LP in the earlier stage funds. And we sort of invest in those funds geographically. So okay. we'll go Nordics or Germany or, you know, um, Southern Europe. You're almost using these funds as a business intelligence mechanism as well. Well, sort of. I mean, we, we collaborate with, with a lot of them, right? Like, you know, we're an LP and... Um, if they need our help and support, obviously we'll step in. But it's also, yeah, and we'll we'll understand what companies are coming up the pipeline as well. So it 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 may eventually become a good source of deal flow for us. So right. in a way, it's sort of looking at the whole value chain of investing from seed to Series A to B, all the way through a big 
exit and that might or might not be an IPO or a big acquisition, but we're kind of part of that whole value chain. So it is mm-hmm. quite unique. And then if you look at the valuation of the fund, I think it exited the week before Brexit. So Simon Cook, who uh, was the founding partner of Draper, um, uh, you know, when he he was part of, part of the team that pulled this off, I think it was valued at $120 million on the AIM in June 2016. Mm-hmm. And then the last valuation um, is a billion plus now. Yeah. So the fund is valued at a billion plus four and a half years later. Right. And obviously the valuation depends on the share price. But and then that means any investor that wants to get in can. And this is not a financial promotion. Far from it. So <laughs> I've got to make sure people know that this is not that. But it's just a unique way of getting involved in venture capital. Right. Mm. Um, and, and so that 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 it's quite unique. Um, and, you know, and it's very few funds operate to that cycle. And right. it's typically the 10 year cycle. And sort of after year five to six, you're going to have to um, go out and fundraise again for fund two or fund three. So that's the slight difference. But again, mm-hmm. for us, it's about the deal flow and the companies coming in. And um, we have an amazing platform team that is just constantly scouring the market and evaluating deals and you know, that means we just, we're, we're, and then we'll see stuff through our, 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 the seed funds that we've invested in as well. So yeah, I yeah. think that, that's what's really unique about what the team is doing there. And it's just an amazingly smart group of people to work with. So I, I really enjoy my, uh, the time I've been there so far. Ladies and gentlemen, we are talking about money and we are talking about investments and everything you're going to hear today is purely Bindi's opinion. This is in no way or any shape or form, any financial uh, advice. Please don't sue either one of us or don't sue Draper Esprit either. Yeah, please don't, because this is not a promotion. This is really just talking about the model, which, again, if you go on the website, it's all there and very, very public, so... I do make a little bit of a joke out of it, but but that is serious stuff. Like these yeah, are just 100%. opinions. Do not invest. Do not refinance your house and put all your money into Draper Esprit unless you can afford to lose that money. <laughs> <laughs> With that out of the way, Bindi. Okay, Dad. <laughs> let's talk. <laughs> let's talk about women in VC. Statistically speaking, Bindi, you are in the minority. Why? I mean, how long is a piece of string, Dan? I think. um i you know it's it's a tough one like let's share some numbers here right i think we both have been looking at numbers and just bear with me as i scroll down here um so there is a report sort of funded by diversity vc and british business bank and the situation in the uk and i can only talk uk numbers here and i think i've got access to some european ones it's just as shattering as the U.S. And this article was from 2020. Yeah, April 20th, 2020. So about a year ago. Mm-hmm. 13% of VC partners on the island are female, the same share as two years ago in 2018. While the gender ratio is improving solely for junior ranks from 20% females in 2017, 37% in 2019, the upper echelons, the decision-making power hasn't shifted at all. I think that is a reality. I think that's the first observation I'd make. I think that is starting to change. So to give you some observation on how it's starting to change, I am seeing more women being promoted to partner because they have started at more junior levels and they've worked their way up. I'm seeing more women being recruited into partner level. Um, And certainly the headhunters have all been briefed. You know, we've got to get more, not just women, but diversity in general you know, at the upper echelons and more right. importantly, 
investment committee level, you know, making the financial decisions. Mm. I know certainly at Draper, we have uh, Nikki is the partner and Inga right, leading right, our right. health tech practice. And then we've got a lot of amazing, you know, younger women who are will be coming up the ranks and they're just sharp as anything. And it's just brilliant. So it, it's fairly even, actually, reasonably even there. And I'm seeing that amongst all the funds. I think that's the first thing. I think ESG is a really big um, uh, thing where more and more uh, funds like the LPs are now realizing they have to invest in funds that really do have more of that diversity. But this is still not yet happening. And the numbers, sadly, do speak for themselves. Mm. So there was that report uh, on CEE European women in VC, yeah. and then yeah. talking about, you 1%. know, 1% there. And then the the, br- the brutal reality is the LPs, the limited partners, um, are still not anecdotally putting money into women-founded VCs, so women-founded VC funds. Mm-hmm. I know anecdotally, I won't say names because obviously confidential, but sure. of at least three female-driven funds mm-hmm. where they're turned down by the LPs. And then, and, and, and we were like, why? And a lot of it has to do with, um, the metrics that they assign. And that's around, well, you have to have a track record of, um, you know, like, have you done this kind of angel investing and what kind of returns have you had? And that's classic LP behavior. Mm. But actually, um, we need to think about other metrics. You know, right. like in terms of what it, what is your networks level? What is your operational experience? Like these kind of other metrics that are less, not restrictive. Restrictive is the wrong word because, you know, you, you're financial. You got to make a return. That's just a mm-hmm. fact of life with VC. Exactly. Right. right. But if I know, give you women, my money, I want my yeah. money back eventually. Yeah, exactly. And preferably more of it. Yeah, exactly. Like you want a, a you know, an X return or a multiple on what you've put in. Um, but I just think some of the criteria will cut women out because we've just not had the opportunity yet. But having said that, there's a lot of kick-ass women that are popping up. I think the the ecosystem of females in VC in Europe is very vibrant at all levels. Uh, there's a woman in VC WhatsApp group that actually, because WhatsApp has limits on number of people in the group, we had to move to Telegram because there are more, too many women, you know, and we're, sh- we're deal sharing with each other, which is fantastic. So I, I think we're getting there. I don't think we're the numbers are diabolical. And mm. so I think we just got to keep talking about it and get more and more in. And I think the other thing is, is European VCs have a more um, traditional view on who can be in VC and who not. And that is changing too, right? Mm. So do you come from this kind of uh, academic background or this kind of banking or consulting mm. background? Mm. Or nowadays, I'm seeing more women coming in at top level into VC that have a real operator background. So they've worked in big scaling startups and they understand really what it takes. So I just think we've got to be more open-minded to it. But being very blunt, most of the partners that I know throughout are, they are actively looking. They just mm-hmm. haven't done it yet. And the barriers are there. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I've We've all encountered our barriers. And then one joke that has um, has popped around, and I don't even know if I should say this, but I have heard this. There are more VCs with partners of the name of Martin and Peter 
<laughs> and that, that's in certain parts of Europe. <laughs> so, so, and, and that, that is, that has been said, you know, uh, amongst some of the women. And I, I don't know if I should. I think our listeners know exactly what countries those are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and so, you know, and we, and we, we say that going, come on, LPs, like you've got to understand, uh, you know, and then uh, uh, this report in the CEE, um, you know, it, I, I like what they say as the starting thing. Um, you know, women outperform men by as much as 96% in the CEE yeah. region, right? Right, right. <laughs> so, so why would I invest in men? I think balanced teams are really important, I think. Uh, and I think that's a balance of not just gender, but diversity, diversity of thought, diversity of generation, sure. diversity of opinion. I think all of that is key. And I find I bounce really well off people with all different you know, kind of varying levels of thought. And I want to learn, like, you know, I, uh, Dan, you and me are both Gen X, let's face it. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm barely Gen X. Yeah, I think yeah. I might be boomer, but at this point, I feel like a boomer. <laughs> After this lockdown, I think all of us feel that way. <laughs> I, I aged 30 years. <laughs> yeah, it feels that way sometimes after being stuck at home for so long. But I think we learn from different generations. So like what we're learning from Gen Zs and, you know, millennials it, is equally important. So I think that kind of diversity of thought is really key as well. But then again, I, I did write an article for City AM a couple of years ago. And um, let's talk about the female founders, right? That's diabolical as well. And the headline said, why are female founders being shortchanged by venture capital investors? And actually, it was something like for every one pound invested in a man, it was 10p in a woman. This was the British Business Bank study. Yeah. So really? I was like, why, why are women worth only pennies to the pound? That's crazy. But again, I think the pipeline is... When statistically speaking, their ROI is much higher. Yeah, exactly. But I think until we fix the value chain, the Mm. whole value chain from LP to investor to founders to, you know, exec teams um, doing that, the the whole thing needs to be fixed, Dan, right? Mm. I think that's what's up with women in VC. I think it's just... Women in general. Um, and then I know some of the work I've done on the EIC, I chair the diversity and inclusion part of the European Innovation Council. And we will be publishing, you know, some pretty strongly, strong statements around where we think we need to improve as an ecosystem in Europe around investing in female founders, uh, mixed teams, diverse teams, uh, female investors. You know, and what we need to do to get more female investors up there um, and pull them up the ladder and then LPs and how they need to like think about investing in diversity. We got to fix the whole value chain, basically. Do you have a timeline on this report? It'll come out in the next two, three months. And it's it's going to be just a, a book of recommendations of what the EIC needs to think about for 2021, 2022. But then mm-hmm. we'll update that every year. And this year, I've been appointed the co-chair of the Diversity and Inclusion Committee. So we're in the process of just finalizing those recommendations. We'll take it to the next board meeting, make sure that everyone on the board is on the same page and, you know, get board approval um, uh, of all of us as board members. And then we will probably publish it after that. So it is imminently coming. I think the other thing is um, EIC has made a point of saying we they're setting their own metrics as well. So that that is a big investor. It's a 10 billion euro super fund. They're saying, well, why don't we set metrics about how many female founded businesses we look at? Right. So they're proactively saying 
well, we need to make sure that the assessors and the people that are giving the money are balanced and the people that are receiving the money need to be more balanced. So I think we're at about 25% um, metric, but we want to get to half-half. Mm-hmm. Then I think how you set up the boards is really key as well. So I know I'm ratting on a bit. Well, but I, I'm, I'm sure you wouldn't know anything about sitting on boards. Yeah, but setting up the boards. <laughs> so for example, EIC, we are 50% men and women, 50-50. And then Good. the investment committee for the fund that it's running, 50-50 men, women. So what I found is if you actually put a stake in the ground and set your own metrics, then then the then shit happens, right? Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. ev- more people need to take responsibility for setting those kind of metrics. And I think things will change. But yeah, the fact is right now, it's diabolical. We got to fix it. And I actually wonder if things have gotten worse through the pandemic. Because I, I know a lot of my, mm. I, I'm very sad not to be a mom. I'd love to be a mom, but I'm not. But listening to my mother friends, how they've had to balance their amazing careers, plus children, plus home, it's been really hard on them. Like, mm-hmm. I kind of go, wow. Like, I thought I had it hard, but goodness <laughs> me. They, they, I, I really am blown away by the strength and the capacity and the capability of my female peers who do have all of that to balance. We just need to keep talking about it and keep making sure people start to just step up and take responsibility for their actions and the decisions they make and take responsibility for who they're seeing in their pipeline. There are lots of initiatives out there about female founders. I'm seeing so many amazing female-founded companies. Um, I'm in a lot of women in VC or women founders chat groups. Um, you know, I can talk for, you know, the mayor of London runs a female founders program. So there's lots of these things happening. But the question is, when you start to get to Series B investments in Europe, that's where things happen because B is very, a B round is very much around metrics driven. So you need to be scaling, you need to have this certain type of revenue, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I think um, that's where we're starting to see fewer females at that level. But again, oh, right. we just got to drop off happens. Yeah, we, we got to bring women up that pipeline, right? And I think, and it goes back to, Let's talk about the whole value chain. And I know it sounds like I'm boiling the ocean, but until the LPs <laughs> think about how they put money into different types of funds that have different types of experience, it can't just be IRR of a previous fund uh, or I've done 10 angel investments and therefore I'm okay. That's the classic way. So the challenge is, do we think about that? And then the female founded funds or you know, in, in a traditional VC fund, how many women partners do you have? You got to think about that. Then you got to think about, well, how do we, you know, make sure that we uh, target female founded businesses? And if not, can we help them or can we communicate to them about why they're not getting invested in, you know, because quite often you just go, no, the answer is a no. And I've had Mm -hmm. no said to me many times, um, you know, more than I care to mention. But the point is, I'm always like, why, why, why? So Mm -hmm. I think, I think. Don't take rejection sitting back. Just take rejection asking, well, can you give me feedback? And if they don't give you feedback, then, I, you know, we, that, that's a problem, right? I think keep getting asking. that feedback, keep asking. Bindi, listen, we have to take a break. I've got a couple sponsorship messages to get in here. However, it is time for the lightning round. Ooh. <laughs> Are you ready? I hope so. All right, here we go with the lightning round. Flames or Oilers? Oilers. Eh, wrong answer. <laughs> What's the best part of living in London? The people. 
Champagne or wine? Champagne. What's the worst part of your job? I have to spin 50 plates. That's not the worst part. I just have to be good at remembering what each of those plates are. Skiing or snowboarding? Skiing. Snowboarders are bums. The best live music event you've ever attended? Burning Man and Glastonbury. And that's it, ladies and gentlemen. This has been the Lightning Round. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Studies have shown that direct earball advertising is three halves more effective than either video or print. So whether it's out on a run with Raph or falling asleep with Phillies, your highly targeted message could be right here. Talk to me at dan at selected.sesamers.com. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're just joining us, which I know you're not, we're sitting down today with venture capitalist Bindi Korea, and we've been talking about why she hates snowboarders. But in all seriousness, <laughs> I don't Bindi, hate them as long as they don't put my snow. They don't get my snow away. Well, that's why you <laughs> ski on the side of the trails. That's where all the fresh snow is. You know I that, know, though. You're, I know, you're a pro. I know. You're a pro. <laughs> yeah. Bindi, I wanted I want to uh, talk to you about venture capital and how it can change the world. Can venture capital really change the world? I think venture capital backs the founders that change the world. And I think it's about taking the risk on the founders who dream big, right? Mm -hmm. You know, and, and who are, who people think, who normal people think are completely crazy because the idea is so big. Um, right. And then I think VC is backing that. So it can change the world if it picks the right people to back. That's mm -hmm. what we do, right? And we make, we, we make returns for the people that are putting money in the fund. So, yeah, right. it can change the world, but as part of backing these people that really are truly world-changing. If I'm a startup right now, me, yeah. Dan Taylor, I am a startup, uh, I want some of your money, Bindi. I want some of Draper money. I want in on that Draper model. What are you, what are you looking for? I mean, or better yet... Before we get to that, what are you? What what is the best way to get to you? I mean, every VC has their own, you know, their own touch point. What what do you like? Do you want to see a deck? Do you want a, a warm introduction? Do you want me to do a song and tap dance for you? Uh, I could also compliment you on your shoes while we eat calamari. What uh, <laughs> what what are you what are you looking for? Um, well, first of all, how to get a hold of me? I think network always helps. Warm introductions, but I think when you're investing at a later stage. People, the, the investors know about you, right? They're tracking you. They know already. But I think if you're talking about seed stage and early stage, I mm -hmm. think, you know, get out there and pitch. You know, if you're super early and you're pre-product and you're really testing the idea, get out there and pitch and see if you can get in the right accelerators. And um, you just got to hustle, pound the pavement. Does the accelerator really hold a lot of weight in your mind? I mean, let's throw Y Combinator out of this because they're they're the yeah. you know they're the outlier. If I'm in Y Combinator, I, I got VCs lining up. So yeah. let's get them out. But how how much weight do you really put on if I'm in the Barclay Accelerator versus uh, TechStars versus I don't know what? Well, I I think it's how connected they are into the rest of the ecosystem in the value mm -hmm. chain. I know I've been banging on about value chain, but do they have the connections to the VCs? Do those investors come to the pitch days or um, you know, for example, more and more VCs are pulling together platform teams and those platform teams will go and understand who are the companies coming out of this. Um, and do they recruit quality people? 
right? And do they recruit, you know, Entrepreneur First isn't an accelerator, it's a company builder. But we know that every investor will look at an EF company or, um, so I think it's a combination of everything. But actually, it's the network that they have that's important and the doors that they can open and help you as a founder. So I think that's the, the investigation you need to think about as a founder is, you know, can they get you in front of investors? Maybe they have a network of business angels because that's what you want is a business mm-hmm. angel investment because that's the stage of company you're at. And therefore, and then what's their track record as well? So that's kind of the due diligence founders should think about when talking to accelerators, you know, and then you'll know um, and see like a lot of these, obviously folks like Techstars are super highly regarded. And, you know, if you look at the people running the Techstars programs, they, they have their own investments and they have their own incredible experience and the value they add to the founder at that stage is so important. And they have the network, they can open the doors. So, and then the platform teams and the VCs will be out there in the market trying to originate deals, like bring in the deal flow and go this company, this company, this company. And then, you know, that you go through that in the Monday meeting because that's what the VC Monday meeting is about is you go through deal flow, deal flow, deal flow and go, who do you take to the next level of discussion? There's a Monday meeting for VCs. Every VC has a Monday meeting. I want in on the Monday meetings. Oh my goodness. What I love, what I wouldn't give to be a fly on the wall at the next Draper Esprit Monday morning meeting. I think everybody has those meetings because that's also investment committee time as well, right? That's because everyone will be in the office on Mondays and that means Tuesday to Friday, there are board meetings or conferences or it's the travel time, right? And obviously now that's different, but that's just always been the rhythm. And other VCs might operate differently, but Mondays, you know, means typically you're coming straight from home because you've been home for the weekend or whatever. And then Tuesday to Friday is the rest of the stuff that you do, like working with the portfolio, going to board meetings, pounding the pavement, pounding the pavement, sourcing deal flow. And then you bring it in and everyone talks about it on Mondays. So, all right. Well, well, you see, one of the reasons behind this podcast. We had that at SVB too, by the way. Did you? Yeah. yeah, SVB, we had Monday morning meetings as well. So One, one of the reasons behind this podcast, I'm, I'm actually making a secret play to become a venture capitalist. So oh. I'm just talking to all the VCs I know and 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 want to know and getting all of their secrets and their best practices so that uh, about a year from now, I can walk into a $100 million fund. Just bring in <laughs> the right deals and you're good to go, right? Bring in the right deals. Yeah. Listen, speaking of the right deals, though, a couple months ago, I talked to Sheil Manot from Better Tomorrow Ventures, and he gave me a list uh, what do you have? Like six terms, I think, that he is looking for in in every single investment that he makes. He's looking at team. He's looking at the tech, total addressable market, traction, terms, and taproom buddy. Does that sound about <laughs> right to you? Yeah, I mean, I, I can certainly give you the the metrics, the things that, that that we look at. So it'll be obviously the business overview and who are they and what do they do. Do they fit into the investment thesis of the fund? Because every fund has a different type of investment thesis and you know, um, a lot of research goes into the market and understanding what are the gaps in the market and therefore what are the technologies that address that gaps and therefore what should we invest in? So, you know, looking at the investment thesis, the size of the market and, and what the market is about and is it scalable? Like, can they scale to a billion dollar company? I think that's really, really key. And will this product be able to do that? And you see it enough times, you know when and if not a company can scale. So I'll give you an example. I'm in talks right now to potentially join the board of one startup. And literally when I spoke to the founder, a female founder, because I 
I am, I mainly deal with female founders, um, is uh, what I would say is I literally t- just sat back and listened to her talk about what she was trying to do. And I'm like, oh my God, if you nail this, this market size is exponential. I got so excited. I'm like, oh my God, I want to be part of this. Please, let's make this happen. You so, can't tell me what that startup is, can you? I, I can't yet, but um, yeah, at some point. But I was literally like so excited by the opportunity and you kind of go, this could be interesting if you nail what you're going to do, right? Mm. And I think that's the whole point is um, it's about the execution, right? So the ability to execute. So that that the market size is really key. So really having an understanding of your market and where you fit in uh, is really key. The product. So understanding where your product fits is a part of that. Is it, you know, is it a deep tech play and that's truly unique and the IP is very protectable if not is it a product driven play and if you execute it properly then you know your product will win um uh, as a result you look at customers traction and pipeline um so for us traction and customers and pipeline is key because when you're scaling you want to know can you go from 5 million revenue to 5 to 10 million revenue to 50 million to 100 million because then you're you realize that that's really key uh, the team is very important. So, um, you know, it doesn't matter if they're young or old. It's more about do they oh, have good. the ambition? <laughs> no, they do they have the ambition, right? So some yeah. in some markets you go, well, they have the experience and the network and what it takes to execute because financial services, you kind of need to know and understand regula- regulation and all of that. And so you kind of do need a few gray hairs um, on you to understand that environment or if you're a young founder and ambitious you know that you need to get the gray hairs surrounding you to help you scale to that next level um so the team is really really key right and um, so to all you kids out there if you're looking for some gray hairs i'm your guy i've got enough of them i've got enough of them (laughs) yes i noticed you got a little bit of a shadow there a little bit (laughs) bindi i'll tell you what lockdown has not been nice to me the hair used to be purple I'm, i'm going i'm just going to go full silver with it now Oh, good. Why not? Silver is very dignified, Dan. It's all good. Silver Fox. The last one is two things. Financials is very key of the company. So, you know, revenue and cost and customer acquisition costs, all those key financials and metrics you need to have a good insight on. And this is for more a later stage, but understanding that you need to know the metrics to meet as you grow. Um, And then, uh, yeah, that's it. And then we kind of need to understand in-house, like, our deal and where we think we can get the return as a part of that deal. Like where do we think we can make the money back longer term? Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, that's it. So yeah, Shields basically got it right. And um, I like the, what is it? The tap room compatibility. Tap room buddy. Tap room buddy. Yeah. that That's very, that's nice. But you know, I think if you're a mother in VC, how hard would it be if you've got the kids at home and all of that as well? I'm not, I'm not sure that that should be a metric. It should be, you know. So I, I need to explain that one. And, and what that one is, is I, uh, I came up with that one on the spot, actually. And, and Shia was saying he had the, you know, the, the ways to remember this, they were all started with T's. And then he said, you know, the last one I have, it's, it's not really a T, but it, it, you know, he said, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm being completely honest with you, 
I I have to I have to get along with the person. You know, we're we're starting a relationship yeah. here. Oh, yeah, I have to make fun. sure I can hang that's out fun. with this person. And yeah, he yeah, said, yeah, so yeah, you know, 100%. can I go have a beer with that person? I said, well, that doesn't start with T. But how about tap room buddy? So we came up with tap room buddy. Okay. So as long I as you that. can, as long as you feel comfortable and you know, you'd go have yeah. a beer with well, the person. It, it, it's a relationship, right? So you're sitting on the board of that company for a long time, and you're working with a founder, and there can be highly stressful situations. So can you work with that person through? thick and thin and through stressful situations and through distressed times, but also through fantastic high growth times as well. So yeah, okay. I, I like that definition of Taproom Buddy. You also might want to go visit taproombuddy.com at your leisure. Just oh, saying. Oh, I'm not sure. <laughs> Will it set off the alarm bells, Dan? <laughs> it is a beautiful day here in London. It is the first day we've been allowed out of our cages. I have kept you here for far too long as it is. I know you're going to Tap Room Buddy right now. Oh my aren't God! You? It says Dan Taylor Photography. Oh, you cheeky one! You like that little? I you love like that, that little? Buy the URL, put a redirect on it. Yeah, Dan, that's very good. Well done. Well done, mate. Yeah. Thank you very much. Listen, Bindi, I want to let you get out and go enjoy uh, a beer with your tap room, uh, a, a champagne with your yes. tap room buddies. <laughs> so listen, Absolutely. let's 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 wrap this up. I got a couple questions for you. What is the one question you always hoped someone would ask you, but they never have? How are you, Bindi? How are you feeling? Because people kind of seem to think I'm really strong. And, you know, we're all vulnerable. So I'd, I'd like to just, you know, have people check in on how I'm doing, too. Because I'm always checking in on people. That's kind of my nature. I'm a bit of a mama bear. So this yeah. is true. Nobody nobody really checks on the nuclear reactor until it melts down, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm just <laughs> yeah. saying. Can we? Should we be calling you Chernobyl now? I don't know. <laughs> no, no. I'm not melting down. Far from it. <laughs> Definitely far from it. <laughs> my next question is: When can I buy you a drink in person? Well, London's open. Like at least outdoors. I'll be so right over. Whenever we can meet outside <laughs> for a drink. All right, um, good. We can meet halfway. And then, so in the next two weeks, Dan, let's find Fantastic. a night. Let's Woo! do it. Yay. Woo! I can't wait All to right. see you, my friend. Bindi, <laughs> do you have any last thoughts for our listeners who are mainly those people like me who want to get into VC and or startup founders? Who cares if people say no to you? Just keep going. Like, don't let any no's or walls that hit you get in the way. Just keep at it and just learn from the nose and pick yourself up and carry on because, you know, resilience is important. And I think um, if you have that kind of ambition and that positive forward thinking, um, I guess, then you're going to be okay. Don't let it get you down. In the words of Winston Churchill, if you're going through hell, keep going. Absolutely. Bindi, we are almost out of time. I'll tell you what, take us out. Tell the old folks like me where we can find you on the emails or the LinkedIn's or however you prefer. Tell the kids where they can find you on the social meds. And most importantly, tell me where I can find you on TikTok. <laughs> well, I am at Bindi Korea on TikTok. I haven't TikToked in a year. You are the first guest I've had that has a TikTok account. Yeah, but I have I I haven't TikToked in a year. So, but I have squirrels TikToking because that was sort of the first. I don't lockdown. even know what that means. Oh yeah, you should. It's it's funny. So I do I do have TikTok, um, but I haven't done it in a while. So I'll get back into it. At Bindi on Clubhouse, at Bindi K on Twitter. And then if you want to email me, just best bet is just contact me through LinkedIn. I'm always reading my LinkedIn messages because I find it's a great way to connect. Um, and we can go from there. We can find you at Bindi Korea on LinkedIn. Yeah, Bindi Korea on LinkedIn. Yeah. 
Ladies and gentlemen, I have had the pleasure and the honor of sitting down with a legendary VC this week who, she likes the Oilers, but hey, you know, we won't hold it against her. Oh, come on. Which hockey team do you like? Rangers. Of course. I like the Rangers. I think I'm, if I had to pick a U.S. team, I'd back the Rangers. So I'm on your page with that. This is why we get along so well. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, that's going to do it for this week. This has been episode 20. I am your host, Dan Taylor. This has been the Selected Podcast, and I am out of here.